Welcome to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter with host Brooke Benson. Over the next hour, you'll learn from experienced professionals the options you have to make smart decisions in your own divorce journey. Now, here is your host. Hi there, this is Brooke Benson. Welcome to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter. I saw a wedding planning magazine and realized people need the same kind of guide for getting unmarried. I do not advocate for divorce. In fact, I don't even get involved in relationship issues at all. If you decide to end a relationship or your partner does, I'm here to help with sensible, practical, and often low-cost ways to prepare for the split. Only when you know what you want can you work toward your own best outcomes. And there are many professions with specialties in the area of divorce. This show is dedicated to hearing from them, compiling some of their best information, and incorporating it into my workbook by the same name, now available for download at planfordivorce.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Today, I am thrilled to devote the whole hour to a woman with the most interesting outcome of divorce. I, uh, one, one of the top people I have encountered who used her life experiences to carve out the life that she wanted for herself and her child. And I am very pleased to have Carol Cohn on the show. She is the art of divorce. She's the artist behind the art of divorce. She has a long career in creative services, including advertising, always loved drawing as a child, has been very involved with museums near where she lives on the East Coast, and actually ran a school, an art school, on the premises of one of these museums. Um, Carol, I hope you'll tell us more about that. Welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Well, I am thrilled, and I think the timing here is really good because you actually have an exhibit hanging right now. Is that correct? Yes, I do. It's a local exhibit at Academy Square Gallery in Montclair, New Jersey. And we are just so you figure out where we are. We're about 13 miles west of New York City. And it is rumored that half the staff of the New York Times lives in Montclair. Really? Um, Yeah, we have five train stations Wow. Yeah. And it was originally this summer residence for wealthy New Yorkers. Right. So they would they would come out here to the country and, (laughs) you know, for their summer homes. And it, you know, has become it's what's called an exurb because it's more city like than it is suburban. Gotcha. Right. So sort of like Sausalito, California, I think it started sort of the same ways, you know, vacation mm-hmm. homes, weekend homes, and then became more of a, you know, more of an urban type of feel than vacation. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear about that. So just we'll talk about it again later. But for our listeners, sure. tell us one more time where the where the exhibit is hanging currently. So the exhibit is at Academy Square Gallery which is in Montclair, New Jersey. And um, it is called Three Voyages While Standing Still. Excellent. Okay, we're going to talk more about it. But I just, because of the timing and having the exhibit actually hanging, I wanted our listeners to be aware. Okay, so obviously you're here to talk some about your background and how you came to be where you are in your process, your divorce process. Tell us a little bit about kind of the timing of when that happened, how old you were and uh, how old your child was and, and the process you selected to get unmarried. Well, I am divorced now almost eight years. I was 62 part of the uh, current trend of baby boomers who are getting divorced. Um, I was laughing the other day. I saw an article uh, on CNN online about what they call gray divorce. 
Right. So, so, <laughs> and, and I um, <clears throat> had the good fortune of getting divorced at a time where two really dear friends of mine were getting divorced. So that was, and they were going, they had different issues and, you know, but, but we were all baby boomers and we were all going through the same thing at the same time. And um, I think that, you know, having friends around you who've been through it made a huge difference for all of us. Yes, I agree. Cause it can be very isolating. So if you have someone, you know, who's having a similar experience, it, it makes you feel less, less lonely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned my background was in advertising and um, what happened was uh, my ex said, you know, I think we should get a divorce. And I said, well, I'm not going to stand in your way. Uh, you know, I don't want to be where I'm not wanted. So that's fine with me. I wasn't, you know, really very happy, but um, you know, at 62, where am I headed? Right. Right. But, well, but here's the thing. I always loved to draw and all I really, really ever wanted to do was make art. And so our marriage counselor who became our divorce counselor said, you know, one of the things that I find from my client is people who are going through this find that keeping a journal of some sort is very beneficial to get you through the process. And she said, you know, you could write it. You like poetry. You like this. I didn't want to write another word because I really made my living writing. And I said, no, 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 I don't want another job, but I'm going to draw. Love it. So the next week I came in with a drawing and she was flabbergasted and said, wait a minute, you drew this? And I said, yes. She said, oh my God. And I did it with a, some markers and it was my friends, the two, the three of us with our exes done in marker. Um, and I decided that it was very important for me to understand how I got here. Excellent. And that, like that is what really compelled me to explore it in visuals. Okay. Because I wanted to look at, well, I'll tell you this. My mom had three daughters all of us are divorced. So there's some, there was obviously something in the waters. Well, not necessarily. Was your mother's marriage successful? No. No. Okay. So she had, she had two marriages. Um and neither were successful. So we, you know, as is frequently the case, we didn't have role models. Right. What makes for a successful marriage? What does it, you know, we had no idea. Right. Because we never witnessed one. And um, so that was a handicap going in. No, no doubt about it. Well, um, I don't know. Let me stop you there because I am the product of a very happy marriage. My parents are still together after 53 years and they are um, certainly, you know, in a routine, obviously at this point, but we, we observe two happy, thriving people. And for whatever reason, I could not pick someone or have not picked someone who who I could have that kind of relationship with. And after really throwing up my hands with a therapist and just saying, you know, there's something that I'm putting out there in the atmosphere that just, you know, is not right. He cut me off and he said, Brooke, you've never been on the lookout for bad behavior because you've never really witnessed it in your own family. There you that, go. That was very instructive. Very insightful. Very insightful. Well, again, I don't know uh, if it I made me. Yes. And I... Well, the truth of the matter is we all come with baggage. I'm sorry. I lost uh, you there for a second. Okay. The truth of the matter is right. that we all come with baggage. 
and it can be good baggage. And in your case, you weren't you weren't aware of the warning signs. In my case, right. I wasn't aware of the warning signs either. Um, so in that in that regard, you know, uh, stuff happens, and we grow and we change. You know, I mean, I don't know that life is really about finding your life partner when you're when you're a young person and expecting to grow together in the same direction. Some uh, people do, but not yes, everyone. Yep, 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 they do. Yes. And and I certainly hoped for that, but um, it's not what I got. <laughs> so um, anyway, um, I was with a friend right. of mine. It's all gonna... Go ahead. I just was going to bring up your kiddo, but you go ahead and tell your story. Okay. So, um, well, the transition was kind of about, um, I was at a, a frame shop gallery in town with a friend of mine who was getting a piece framed. And she said to the owner, you know, you really should look at Carol's art. She's doing this whole thing on divorce. And she and the owner said, oh, my God, I want to do a show with this. So this was six months after I started creating art. And I had my first solo show at 63, The Art of Divorce. So that Good for was, you. That's that, wonderful. Yeah, I created a whole new life for myself. I um, had a long career and had my son when I was almost 41. So, um, and, you know, the East Coast, there are a lot of career women, and it wasn't unusual to have, you know, a, a career and then have a child later in life. But um, unfortunately, he was a child with special, he is right. a child with special needs, and he has Asperger's, and he was diagnosed 21 years ago which was before um, it was truly understood. I was lucky to be in a very good school district, but they certainly didn't have the services then or the awareness or teachers certainly were not trained uh, to understand right. how to work with students like this. So there were a lot of challenges. Was it hard on the marriage? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, 75% of marriages with special needs children end up in divorce. I didn't know that I didn't know the number was that high, but it honestly it makes sense because yeah. as you pointed out, you know, you get married when you're young and you're in love, you're not necessarily evaluating that person as a potential co-parent. I mean, I don't think most people think along those lines. So it stands to reason that you would have different parenting approaches. And when you throw in Having a kiddo who maybe has communication, you know, delay or or problems, that seems like that it just it, it makes sense that it would exacerbate it. Yeah, it's a stressor. And, you know, um, so. Yeah, but well, I'm sure. It is. So, OK, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. He has a what? Uh, he had a wonderful psychiatrist. And when I told him that, you know, we were going to split up, he said, you need to do a collaborative divorce. And I, you know, divorce was daunting enough. What's a collaborative divorce? I had never heard of it. I certainly had heard of using a mediator. But a collaborative divorce is very different than using a mediator. It, yes. Uh, so tell us about that. So, um, well, first of all, each um, person has their own attorney, but there are two people who are added to that mix. One is a therapist and the other is a financial planner. Because when you're planning for taking care of your child, you know, you want to make sure that they're going to have what they need and what 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 are the implications of 
what's being negotiated. And the therapist is there to really get to the bottom of the child's feelings about it, the parents' feelings about it, and to um, make it uh, supportive in a way that you're certainly not going to get from an attorney. So we, um, I listened to my son's psychiatrist and he recommended someone locally who turned out to be fantastic and his team was fabulous. And um, they called me their best client of the year. We had a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. And, you know, you when you're walking into a divorce, you don't even know what questions you're supposed to ask. I mean, right. I did. And I, I think that's true for everyone. But um, they made the process as easy as it could be. The other thing is that I think was the best thing about it is you can make whatever the divorce laws are in the state. When you do a collaborative divorce, it means that the two people have come to an agreement irrespective of what the law is. So you go before a judge and the judge looks at the paperwork and says, you know, he said, oh, I'm proud that you've negotiated this. And 15 minutes later, you're out of there. Right. That's what I've heard is the real advantage of not filing a long decree with the court. You keep your matters private. How exactly. did you how did you experience the process having the therapist? I mean, you mentioned that they're obviously on the lookout for your your son's best interest, but how how long did it take and how often were you in touch with the various you know um people it took, on it took the, about a year. on the team? It took about a year um, for all the meetings and negotiations. You know, he made an offer. I said no. So, you know, there was some negotiation there. Um, we The therapist met with myself alone, my ex-husband alone, and my child alone, and then met with mother and son and father and son. So it's a theory so that they're able to get a good picture, you know, a rounded out picture of some of the challenges and um, reasons for bumps along the way that might occur post-divorce. Um, and she was fabulous. And our financial person, you know, ran numbers for us. Well, if you pay this over this period of time, blah, 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 blah. And um, so it was very helpful and everyone was very kind and very patient and uh, my ex was not very kind or patient but that was that was part wow. of it so you know but um so uh you know we came to an agreement and no matter what the situation is no matter what the reason is it's sad Sure. It's it. We were married for almost 28 years. And um, we neither of us was, was happy. And why continue to stay someplace that you're not happy in? Um, right. You know, but so. It's hard, as you it, and I both know. It, it, it's hard to yeah. end it. But sometimes it is the right thing. Well, I thought of it as, you know, I, as, as I said, I had a long career and, you know, I did some really interesting things professionally and I knew that I had a great skill set. So I thought, well, you know, at this point in my life, I'm not really looking for another job. I was ready to retire. Um, but I knew that I wanted a purpose for life. I wanted to find and pursue my bliss. And my bliss has always been okay. about drawing. Let's also talk a little bit about your faith. Um, when you and I have spoken previous to this, you yes. mentioned the fact that you are Jewish. 
Yeah. And it, it seemed like a natural thing for me to ask how your faith influenced your decision-making process. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, interestingly enough, Judaism has always accommodated divorce from the beginning. But initially, only a man could initiate it, which is not surprising. Um, but, you know, it, you know the, the, the man has to say, no, I'm out of here. Uh, but um, there is something called a get. And when you get divorced, and you're Jewish, you got to get a get, which is really silly, which means that you are legally Jewishly divorced. Um, okay. So my parents divorced when I was 19, and they had been married for 21 years, very unhappily. Um, so I, I saw, and I had, I had three siblings following me. There was, I had, you know, three after me, a brother and two sisters. And because I was already in college, I think that my experience of their divorce was very different from theirs. There's sure. been a lot of, there's, there have been a lot of studies about, um, you know, how siblings are affected by divorce. And I had, had a sister who's 12 years younger than I am. So she was like five. So that was, you know, I mean, her experience was very different than my own. She's more a product of my mother's second marriage than she is of my mother and father. Right. So, okay. So it's interesting that Judaism does allow for that. I mean, allow for the possibility. It's different from many other faiths that, you know, insist that once you're married, that that's, you know, that's it. And it, it's more of an issue to, to separate. So, um, so talk a little bit about how your faith led in, in your love of drawing led to this, you've referred to it as a rebirth. Yes, absolutely. I think that, um, well, I was always very connected to my synagogue, but that doesn't mean I was religious. Uh, the synagogue that I belonged to uh, was what's called Reform. And there are lots of sects of Judaism. And Reform is, um, it, there's a joke, uh, you know, my body is a temple. Yes, but yours is Reform. So it's kind of a joke that it's not, it's just, it's not a, it's not as here to, you know, we don't keep kosher. Um, we celebrate the high holidays. Um, and uh, generally, it's more relaxed. But what I found in that environment, and I continued to go to Hebrew school all the way through high school, what I found was the kinds of things we were talking about there had um, much deeper and richer meaning to me in the course of my life than, let's say, an algebra class. We talked about what does it mean to be a Jew and have marital sex? What does it mean to be a Jew and be a conscientious objector to Vietnam? You know, I'm a baby boomer. Um, my year, uh, the year that I was born in, we were the last uh, group of people who had the lottery for the draft. So, um, and, you know, the my, my right. uh, I was in school, you know, right after Kent State. So there were lots of um, life experiences that have colored my view of the world. And, uh, you know, I, I've come to understand that in many ways we're victims of our time. And I decided that in this exploration of how I got here, why I got here, and what were the influences, worldwide influences, my art reflects that. I like to think that I am a chronicler of the times. And even though I, 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 I'm not thrilled with being part of a trend, clearly, 
clearly being a gray divorce in these times is a social phenomenon in this country. Right. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk specifically about your self-expression um, through your art. And you've shared with me quite a few images. I really wish our listeners were able to see these, but we're going to have you again before the end of the show talk a little bit about how people can connect with your images. And with your permission, I, I would probably, I'd like to talk about how I can post some of them. Since, sure. Um, since, you know, they're meant, you and I also talked before this a little bit about the different reasons people make art. I mean, there, there is obviously the self-expression piece of it. And there are people who make art for their own enjoyment and, and creative outlet, but there are people who make art to be shared. And whether you have intention, you know, your own private reasons and intentions for making art, I feel very strongly that your art is meant to be shared. And it, it not only shows what you're going through, but like you said, your, your friends and their I assume now ex-husbands. And so I think anyone who is struggling in a relationship, and, and I say all the time on this show that when I say divorce, I really mean it to also include a breakup of a relationship, um, same-sex couples, opposite-sex couples. Um, the, the breakup, the ending of a relationship, it has a lot of different applications, whether you're, you know, legally married or not, or in the case of you being Jewish and divorcing and getting a get, I'm, I'm going to add that to my, uh, repertoire here. I love that. that but, yeah. Um, well, I just, you know, it just happens to be the word that you, you, you know, Catholics use the word annulment. I mean, there are other religions that have that kind of 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 religious recognition of the end of a partnership. So, you know, as you have experienced these things that have happened in your life and, you know, the unexpected, I'm assuming, I mean, unless you were secretly plotting to leave your husband, you, unexpected divorce, so the fact that you went back to kind of something you know, something you rely on, your enjoyment of drawing and your self-fulfillment, I think it's fascinating that you really um, return to that in your own process. And so you said that you were in a, a frames shop and your friend told the guy, you know, you should really look at her art. Tell us a little bit about how that really got going. And are you full-time devoted to making art now? And um, if you're willing, I'd like to discuss several of the pieces you've shared with me. Sure. I'd be thrilled to do that. So um, <clears throat> again, what I found was by trying to capture not the specific incidents, not the specific stories, but rather my feelings. What was I feeling in that moment? Why did I... Uh, and, and I talked to a lot of other people, and I remember one woman said to me... Um, my divorce almost killed me. And I did a drawing of her being shot by a man's hand in the shape of a gun. Um, wow. At another incident where this man told me, you know, was obviously crazy about his ex-wife, still crazy about her. And, and he was just broken. And I did a portrait of, him as a bird that was broken. So you hear stories, and and I also felt I'm a big advocate <clears throat> for using therapy. I think it's important, especially <clears throat> when you come from a home that is a difficult environment, which mine was, um, and uh, you know, I didn't I, I say this in all sincerity 
I didn't understand what love was. I just knew that I was expected to find it. Did you, I actually wanted to talk about the portrait. Well, it's not a portrait, but the, the image that you feel like is a self-portrait in autism. Did you experience, I mean, obviously mothers love their children, but did you bond with your kiddo right away and experience the kind of love that you expected to find in your life? Or are we talking about two different things? Well, it, it, Asperger's is, is an interesting impairment. And anyone who is on the spectrum um, has what's called a comorbidity. In other words, there are at least two things at work. So initially, he was diagnosed as gifted. I mean, his IQ is off the charts. He was always the little professor. He had an enormous vocabulary by the time that he was two. He would make puns and jokes about language. And he was absolutely charming. But the thing that tipped me off that said, well, this is not about being, you know, a smart kid. We were in a local drugstore and two little girls came up to him and said, hi, Miles, how are you? And he didn't say anything. And I said, they walked away and I said, Miles, did you know them? And he said to me, well, their voices were familiar. Yeah. Huh. Not their faces. Not their faces. And how Be old was he then? Seven. Wow. That's remarkable. And at that moment, the light bulb went on. And uh, it does run in the family. But again, we're talking about 21 years ago. So one of my husband's brother, his younger brother, is severely autistic, severe Asperger's, brilliant guy, learned Spanish from watching Spanish soap operas. You know, <laughs> that's how I learned. <laughs> it, uh -uh. No, <laughs> but um, you know, a brilliant guy never has had an intimate relationship, unable to connect. Um, my son has a, a, a partner and he and she are very happy together and, and that's great. Um, and he is now 28. I was going to ask you, yeah, I guess that's the math at the way you described it. So your self portrait in autism, it yes. looks to me as if the person in the, in the image is somehow restrained like has yeah. an inability to move his or her arms. Is that, right. am I interpreting that correctly? Yes, yes. And wrapped in not the colorful puzzle that is autism, because as an emerging artist, this may sound a little crazy, but as an emerging artist, I was terrified of using color. I knew that I wanted my imagery to be as pure and as universal as possible. So if I stripped it, if, I, if it, my characters were done in contemporary wardrobe or period pieces, that it wasn't a true reflection of the goal of my work. I wanted anyone to look at it and feel like this could be any time, and probably was. As a matter of fact, um, David Mamet wrote a book, uh, uh, the player, David Mamet, the playwright, wrote a, an incredible book, How the Jews Invented Hollywood. And his theory is that the heads, original heads of the studios all had Asperger's. And, and it's a fascinating read. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why that they could, you know, they could manage so much information and juggling so much, but they had difficulty with personal relationships. 
So um, I th I think that's fascinating, and um, you know we'll see where his life takes him. But you know it was fraught with difficulty because when you have a child who's different, they you know they suffer. Kids are mean. What my son realized very early on was that being funny was a way to connect with people. Uh. <clears throat> and, you know, he was the joker. But um, people on the spectrum have large, typically have large motor skill issues. So they're kind of klutzy. And, you know, boys are rough and tumble and sports. And, you know, my kid was not a sports kid. So... There are lots of handicaps that are part and parcel with anyone, you know, I mean, I I came to understand, first of all, the public school system, you know, with its cookie cutter approach to education was really not serving the best needs of anybody. And there is such a thing as an IEP, which is an, an individualized education program that he was able to get which made accommodations for like his need to move around. He couldn't sit still. His need to not attend events where the noise was really loud. And I didn't learn until I'm going to say five years ago that children on the spectrum experience loud noise as a pain. I didn't know that. Because that's the way their brain is wired. It's interesting. I had no idea. So again, you know, 21 years ago, uh, what did we know about this condition? Very, very little. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'll share this with you because it's it's fascinating. Hans, the, the condition, which is now just, um, you know, kind of blended into the spectrum and not necessarily uh, identified or tagged as Asperger's, although it's quite distinct, was originally um, <clears throat> originally discovered by a doctor in Germany named Hans Asperger during Hitler's time. And as a result of that, his work was never translated into English until 1985. You're kidding. No. So, because he was deemed a collaborator for his work. So, this brilliant scholarly woman at Oxford translated the work. It was a huge wow in the psychiatric community. And it took another two years for it to get to the United States and included in, what is it, the DVSM. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Gosh, I had no idea. I just finished a novel called Under a Scarlet Sky, I think is the name of it. Okay. About the end of the, well, it's it covers a lot of the war, but specifically about the end of the war and how some of the war criminals were tried. And I learned, I, I thought I'd read a lot about World War II, but this is just exhaustively researched and really kind of follows the life of one person. So I am familiar with, you know, anyone who collaborated or even appeared to collaborate with, with the Nazis was under suspicion and, and probably, you know, constantly forced to prove up or, or eventually maybe just leave the, the vicinity because of the, you know, the cleanup after such atrocities. Exactly. And exactly. And it's easy to understand since he was since he was identifying a subset of the population and you know Hitler's philosophy was to get rid of a lot of subsets you can see why it's possible that his work would be perceived as serving Hitler's yes Jews. Yes, when you put it like that absolutely although as you pointed out your son is enormously intelligent Oh, yeah. Scary smart and very funny. Yeah, I'm sure he is. I actually think you're funny. You've said a couple of things that really cracked me up. Good. Uh, 
it may be that sort of a segue to something that while it's totally disturbing also has an, I mean, a lot of the images of yours that I've seen have humorous elements, even if the overall experience might be alarming or, you know, there may be other ways to describe it, but this image yeah. <laughs> and for <laughs> For our listeners, um, Carol sent me, I I have seen some of her work in other places, but she sent me some images that were very ripe, I think, for discussion. And the one I just showed her, because she and I can see each other, is basically, and this, let me describe it, and then you, then I'd like to hear from you. So Uh from my point of view... It looks like a giant lizard because it has a tail and it has long pointy claw, like toenail type of things. And these weird little flapper arms and it has its mouth open, appallingly open, very large, takes up half of the figure with the mouth open. And there is a woman, an attractive woman wearing a red old fashioned bathing suit. And she's sitting on what looks like maybe a life preserver. So tell me the fine detail of the lizard for lack of a better word. I mean, the, the, the shading and the drawing of this creature and and I will say before I turn it over to you, the creature looks somewhat uh, disturbed, like the eye is sort of like, why is this happening? And the woman doesn't look particularly uncomfortable, but she she does appear to be sitting on a life preserver. So tell mm-hmm. me about this image from from your you know the point of view of the artist. Um, <clears throat> first, let me say that I love when people interpret my work because um, whatever the intent was is irrelevant. It's all in the viewer's eye. And that's what I love about creating art. And this is a woman who's saying, I am climbing out of this misery. There you go. No wonder she doesn't look upset. Right. And and the 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 life that she's shedding her skin, so she is sitting on a life preserver, thinking, "I'm getting out of here." I love it. Well, and they said that makes sense that the creature is like, "I don't really know what to do about this." I mean, to me, the creature looks a little confused. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was its intent. But it's also, I mean, and and you and I talked before this about how a sense of humor is crucial. I mean, I tell people, my kids, as funny as they are, have kept me out of a padded cell. I mean, they just crack me up and we laugh all the time. And I, I know the expression, you know, you laugh so that you don't cry, but I actually think you can do both at the same time. And some of these images make me remember that. How do you use humor in your own life? Well, um, I think, well, first of all, let me say this. There is nothing funnier than life. Things that happen in life, there's nothing funnier. And so um, I have, I, I think, a really strong artistic influence for me was my early exposure to literature. I'm a voracious reader. I always have been. And I would read books and I would keep these notebooks with quotes of things that people wrote that I thought, oh my God, you know, those words gave me pause. And in many instances, the work that I create is because of something that I've read or a song lyric that just was like, wow. And, and, um, and fairy tales, because I read Bettelheim, you know, when I was younger, and the absurdity of some of these stories. Like, I did this really silly drawing, I'll have to send it to you, of um, Cinderella and the Prince, okay? Now, <clears throat> he dances with this woman all night long, 
And how is he going to identify that she's the right one? By her shoes. Right. Now think about it. <laughs> dance with her all night long. Doesn't he know what she looks like? <laughs> oh, so wait, I have it actually over here. I'll show it to you. And you'll have to show, share it with your audience. Can you see this? Can you see she's got a bag? Yes. Yes. Okay, so is that Prince Charming or Mr. Wonderful or that somebody? Cinderella's ball there at the ball. Okay. And so, you know, he's face blind. He's gonna he's gonna go search for her based on her shoes. I mean, <laughs> that is so ridiculous. <laughs> um and you know, the 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 all the stories are ridiculous. And yet <clears throat> they all led us to believe someday our prince will come. And in that belief, I believed I was a princess. I believe I believed I was going to meet my prince because that was my early exposure to literature. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I grew up, as it were, that I said, wait a minute. Some of these stories are just ridiculous. Um, right. You've got for- one here that looks like. Could this be Little Red Riding Hood? Yes. Okay, yes. And so I, there's a great story about that. So okay, tell us. I am, I am a huge Sondheim fan. And he wrote a show called Into the Woods. Right. And in it, there's a Little Red Riding Hood. And the whole story about entering the wood alone and being in danger. I mean, that is true for every woman. We go out into the world, we enter the wood alone, and danger may lurk. And I was, um, before COVID, I was selected to participate in Startup Fair, which is a huge event in Venice Beach, California. And um, like 500 artists apply for this event. all over the United States and 60 were chosen and I was delighted to be chosen. And basically you stay in this really funky hotel and your room is your gallery. And it's three days of people coming in and you speak to like a hundred, hundreds of people about your work and you get to meet all these artists from all over the country. And I made lifelong friendships there with some really interesting artists who do really interesting things. And you realize, wow, I found my tribe, Mm -hmm. you know? So it was 10 minutes to closing time on Sunday, the last day of the event. And a woman comes into my room and she says, I heard that I need to see your work. But, you know, I want to say up front that my husband is also exhibiting here. So, you know, I'm not going to buy anything. I said, that's fine. Come on. And at this point I was delirious. And we went into my bedroom and there was (laughs) art on the walls and art on the bed and the piece that you're looking at, she went right to. And she said, tell me about this. And I said, well, this is about, this is about Red Riding Hood and how she's entering the wood alone. And the title of the piece is for all the little girls who enter the wood alone. Don't we all? And she bursts out crying. (gasps) Yep. Really? Yeah. I make people cry. Gosh. I mean, as an artist, you can't control someone's reaction to your work. No, but but that's, that would be excruciating to be standing there as it's happening. No, it's not. You don't. It's a blessing that I can evoke an emotional response is so powerful and so meaningful as an artist. My art is not to match your couch. No, of course not. Uh, but, and I would but never suggest it. But a lot of art it. is. But a lot well, of art is. You true. Know, yes. and, and I like things that are pretty. Don't get me wrong. But it's to give meaning and context. Right. Okay. And, she did, and you know what? She did buy a print. 
Oh, she did after saying she, she wasn't going to. Okay, we are getting limited on time, and I would really like to devote the end of this to probably, well, it's an image with humor, too. Tell me about the lady writing a comment. What's going on there? Oh, yes. Well, here's the thing that I came to understand. Here's what I'd like to believe. <laughs> and this came to me on the 4th of July. I'm looking at this guy and there are fireworks all around me. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what the stars think of our star show. And I thought, hmm, you know, I wonder if those stars are souls of people who have left our lives. And that what we become is our souls live on in people's memories and they become the bright objects in the heaven. And the woman is writing the comment because we have a brief moment in time on this earth and we should blaze brightly in our lives on that journey. I love that. And I'd really, I'd like to end with that all we have time for today. Can you tell us your website or your social media handles for anyone listening? Yes, there are. Uh, my largest account is Carol, C-A-R-O-L, letter J, Cone, C-O-H-N, Art, on Instagram, or Carol, uh, the line on the bottom, not the dash. Underscore. The, the underscore. Carol's divorce, C A R O L S underscore divorce. And is that and also on Instagram? That's also on Instagram. And then Carol Cohn Art is also on Facebook. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. I, I feel like I could have two more shows and, and discuss so much more of your art. I really appreciate your sharing your time with us, Carol. And for everyone listening, thank you for being with us today. Have a great week and we'll see you here next week. Same time, same place. Thanks for tuning in to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter with host Brooke Benson. We hope today's episode has given you a new perspective on divorce and food for thought as you make some important decisions. Until we talk again, hang in there. You are not alone.